Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby Podcast with your host, Nick McArdle. Yes, welcome to another week of the Fox Rugby Podcast. It is good to have your company. I'm Nick McArdle here with Christy Doran and Sam Worthington from foxsports.com.au. Gentlemen, welcome. Hello, Nicholas. Oh, we are getting through the season, aren't we? A couple of rounds, well, one round left to the regular season, so very exciting. It is exciting. It's exciting to see the progression of the Brumbies in particular, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to Dan McKellar, their coach, in just a moment. Also joining us today, Jack Debrasini, the former Rebel turned Chief, so he's got an interesting weekend coming up against his... Uh, Re- Rebel his... with a cause? He's got an interesting weekend coming up against... What a uh, wordsman. What a wordsman. <laughs> <laughs> against his, his former teammates. And... Um, Interested to catch up with Matt Cobain as well, a 1999 Rugby World Cup winner and uh, certainly a part of Australia's golden era of, uh, of Test Rugby. So we'll chat to him about, uh, well, talk to him about Japan and the makeup of the back row. It's a bit to get through with Matt. Yeah, a bit of an unsung hero probably from those Reds and Wallabies teams back in the day. And, yeah, by all accounts, he's a very astute uh, coach now as well. He chimes in on, on Twitter occasionally with some good observations. So looking forward to, to chatting to him. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, Saturday night in Sydney and still no wins at Bankwest Stadium for the Waratahs. It's uh, three appearances there this year, three losses, the latest to the Brumbies. So this recent domination by the Brumbies over the Tars continues. Yes, yes, indeed. They haven't banged anything, have they, at, um, at Bankwest? See what you've done. <laughs> You're on fire today, <laughs> mate. Um, you had your coffee. <laughs> You're right, yeah. Well, uh, the Brumbies, uh, for the second straight year... You should... You, you're going red, and and so should you. You should be embarrassed. <laughs> that was terrible, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, um, well, they, they were so impressive, the Brumbies. They've come out and they've absolutely blitzed the Waratahs and what, 28 points in 32 minutes. That is just the evolution of the Brumbies' um, the style of play. And so looking forward to hearing what Dan has to say. But the Waratahs, um, another match where they'll be kicking themselves, but they really had no answer. And, and look, their season's very much done and dusted, it would mm-hmm. seem, even despite the fact that there is a, a tight mathematical chance. Yeah, they've got uh, the Highlanders in Invercargill this week, so I'm sure they will be taking their beanies and scarves with them to Invercargill. You would know something about Invercargill, would you not, Willa? It's the uh, trip that you yeah put a little ring around on the calendar, I'm sure, the, the Tars boys, the Invercargill one at the end of the week. I think Paul Cully, the, the journalist from Fairfax, was uh, outlining a pretty bleak forecast. Uh, it's a couple of flights to get down there. So, yeah, they, they'll, they'll get some good bluff oysters down there, some, some good seafood, but um, the weather might not be too flash. Mm, and the discussion about... Would they or wouldn't they rest their test stars, the uh, uh, the Waratahs, for the last game? That that becomes a moot point now. So they they will rest the likes of Bernard Foley and Sakopi Kepu and and those guys from Kirtley Beale potentially for for the last game. So we'll see some some new faces and some new positions for some established faces. I would say we will. But um, I mean the thing is, they're still. I know it's unlikely, but they are still mathematically alive. And if they if they had rolled out a top team, um, you know, funnier things have, have happened. But yeah, the, the way it's panned out, they're now going to have to roll out a, a less experienced team. And I think the the Highlanders um, who themselves have got. Finals hopes. Uh, ben Smith coming back. Um, that, that could be a, a pretty bleak, um, pretty bleak uh, assignment. That one. Mm. All right. Well, um, let's shall we catch up with uh, the Brumbies coach Dan McKellar. Fox Sports is the home of Australian rugby, and this is the official Fox Rugby podcast. 
Dan, thanks very much for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. How's uh, everything looking after a win on the weekend and you, you're steaming towards the final series? Uh, yeah, no, we're obviously in a good position uh, as, a, as a group at the moment. And, um, uh, you know, we had a quiet beer after the game uh, and enjoyed the, uh, the performance and the victory against the Wildcats, as you have to do, enjoy the good moments. And uh, But it's uh, head down now and uh, make sure that we get our preparation right leading into um, a really physical and, and challenging uh, Reds game. What about that performance at the weekend pleased you the most, Dan? Oh, look, I think just the first 40 minutes, it was um, our discipline to uh, to execute our, our plan, you know, and, and, and be direct when we needed to be direct in, in attack and then um, take take the space or the opportunity when it uh, when it presents. Um, and that was that was the most pleasing thing. Um, we were very clinical, I thought, in that first 40 minutes. Took our opportunities, um, probably could have scored... Uh, another one or two there. Um, actually, I dropped the ball over the line, and then there was another little play around uh, around line out where we thought if we had taken a better option, we would have scored as well. So, um, but uh, overall, yeah, really, really pleased and for that first 40 minutes. And, and as I said after the game on, on on Saturday night, you know, we knew we'd be challenged more in that second half. Uh, the Tars down 28-3 with their season on the line. We knew they were going to come out firing in the in the uh, in the second half. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, pleased to get the result and, and we move on. Dan, it was about this time last year, well, actually it would have been in July because the season's been pushed forward, but against the Waratahs that you had another outstanding victory and, and, and you know, almost 12 months later, similar stage of the, of the season, another impressive victory. How much f- further along the line do you think that the, the Brumbies have come since that, that victory last year against the Tars to the one on the weekend? Yeah, I think we're a much uh, we're a more rounded team now, much better balance in our game. I think last year, you know, there was just so much talk, and and you know, obviously, I was talking about it myself was the change we wanted to make with uh, with our tra- our attack, sorry, from unstructured situations, and and there was a whole lot of publicity and, and, and media in and around that, and, and um, you know, things clicked for us at the back end of last year, and we had this fearless sort of mindset um, where we wanted to use our skill and and um, and, uh, you know, not be scared of errors. And, and look, we've, we've still got that mindset to an extent, but I think we've just got better balance in our game. We're a more patient football team now. We've gone back to um, what we've always been good at, and that's been our scrum line out and all. But um, also, um, you know, the areas that we've worked hard on with our attack, we've, we've become more threatening off turnover ball or off kick return counter-attack. So I just think, uh, yeah, I think uh, 12 months down the track, we're, we're certainly... Uh, uh, there's been an enormous amount of progression within our group. Dan, what was the uh, the turnaround? I read an article um, during the week that, that suggested that maybe uh, the game, the corresponding game against the Reds earlier in the season where you guys were, were dusted and that there was a, a fairly honest appraisal uh, of each other after that game and and that was really a marker for, for things starting to head in the right direction. Can you talk about that? What Was that the moment, do you think, where things started to turn for you? Yeah, it definitely was. It was, uh, it was a dis- disappointing Sunday afternoon up there in, uh, in Brisbane. You know, we've all got a lot of family and friends up there, myself included, and, and it was just a performance that we, you know, we, we, weren't, uh, we weren't even close to happy with. It was, you know, it was hot and humid, conditions that we're certainly not used to, but... Um, yeah, we were off, and we were off. I suppose the review. I just asked the players some some questions in and around 
individual preparation, um, team preparation. As a coaching group, we ask ourselves, are our training standards exactly where they need to be or where we want them to be? And like they're not huge margins. You know, we were we, we just felt we were off. Um, we were you know overlooking a couple of things at training that we shouldn't be overlooking. Um, we thought that our preparation was a, a little bit off um, on away games in particular. Um, not focusing on what was important. And you know you, you go to a place like Brisbane, and as I said, there's family, there's friends, uh, that sort of thing. You can get sucked into the distraction, and, and we probably let that happen up there in March. Um, so we just address those things, um, put in place, you know, three or four non-negotiables around our training standard um, that we made crystal clear in that review meeting that we we will not be, um, you know, accepting anything than uh, than the highest of standards around those areas, and and also educated the boys, I suppose, um, in and around what's uh, what is a good preparation, you know, what's 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 it look like on game day, what's your captain's run day look like, what's it look like when you're away from home. Um, is your routine and schedule the same? Do you have a routine or a schedule? You know, a lot of our players, are, you know, they're young footballers and, they, you know, they sign a contract and all of a sudden it's like you flick the switch and they know exactly what to do. So there was a, a little bit of education in and around that as well, which I thought was really worthwhile. Um, I actually got David Pocock to present to the group on on how he prepares for, for a game or how he sets his week up from one week to the next because... There's no one better than Poey at, uh, at doing that in terms of his uh, preparation and professionalism. Dan, obviously booking a home quarterfinal is a great start to, you know, mounting a, a title challenge. But when you look at the, I guess, the standard bearers in the competition, the Crusaders, the Hurricanes, and now the Jaguares as well, do, do you feel that you're right there with them or do you, do you still think there's a, you know, a, a bit more you need to add to your game to, to be capable of toppling them? No, I think I think we're right there with them. I think we've you know we've got to strive to uh, to keep getting better and continue to look to improve and and uh, from from one day to the next and, and making making sure that we, we get uh, you know our, our areas right. Um, I keep talking about around preparation, but you know the Jaguars um, in uh, in Buenos Aires was a game that we we feel you know we lost that game by five points and, and left plenty out there, um, and it was off the back of a trip to. Um, uh, a trip to uh, Cape Town previous to that, so you know we're not certainly not scared by um, by them as an opponent. Certainly have a lot of respect for them, and you know the Crusaders, um, two times champions, looking to you know looking for the hat trick. Uh, we took a pretty experienced side over there um, the week after the the bye week actually, and um, and competed well, and we led seven nil at half time. And, and they brought uh, you know a number of all blacks off the bench and, and uh, took the game to a whole new level around intensity and and uh, and speed of play in that in that second half and, and you know in the end we will be but we certainly competed well that day so look I think you you know with confidence and the belief that we've got in our group at the moment um, with a bit of momentum um, I think to win these big games you've got to have good set piece. Uh, you've got to have an excellent defence and you've got to take your opportunities. And if I look at our group, I think we've, uh, we can do all three of those things. Uh, Dan, one person that's been pretty important to that set piece is, is Rory Arnold. Um, he looks like he's he's taking his game to a new level in, in 2019. I'm, I'm sure you're disappointed by the fact that he's going, but he's certainly... Um, you know, he's he's stepped his game up and he, he looks like he's a real contender for the Wallabies this year as well in that starting lineup. Yeah, look, I think Rory's been consistently very good for us for for a number of years now. You know, he won the Brett Robinson Medal last year. 
Um, he was outstanding for us last year as well. He's just, uh, you know, he's a big man. He's physical. He's got that nasty edge about him, and, and you can't coach that. You know what I mean? You're born, you're born with that, and that's something that Rory's blessed with. You know, he likes the physical side of the game. He likes mixing it with uh, with opposition forward coach. You know, whether that be with his ball carry, whether that be in defence, or, or, or you know, his mall work. To, in, in my eyes, is uh, is as good as anyone in the world. You know, both in attack and and in defence. So. It's um, you know really pleased with it with how he's going at the moment because you know we need our our uh, our best players and we're certainly in the bracket playing well at this end of the uh, this end of the season. But it's um, yeah, it'll be a sad day when uh, I see him running around in a Toulouse jersey, not a Brumbies jersey. Um, I know you've got uh, your head in the the Super Rugby game at the moment, but you were very strong on the weekend, Dan, about uh, the importance of. Wallaby selectors rewarding the Brumbies for the form that you've shown over uh, a sustained period of time now. Can you just talk a bit more about that uh, and perhaps, you know, if you expect that to happen? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure our players, you know, if, if they keep performing well uh, for us uh, and we're playing well as a team, then, you know, we're going to con- you know, continue to um, to be in the forefront of, um, you know, Michael... Um, you know, Snoz and and uh, and John's eyes. You know, and they'll that they'll certainly be looking at our players. We're you know we're on top of the Australian Conference at the moment. We're playing a a, a good brand of footy. Um, and you know you'd like to think off the back of that that individuals will get reward. Um, you know, I go through. Uh, we've got two world class loose head props. Um, we've got a hooker who's quickly um, accelerating to to a similar sort of level. Um, Alan Alatawa for me is is um, is a world class tight head prop. You know his his work rate and repeat efforts are unbelievable. We've spoken about Rory. Um, we all know about Poey. So I think there's a lot of guys there in our forward pack who naturally, you know, your McCaffrey's these sort of guys that, that uh, their name pops up, and, and and most of those guys will be in the World Cup squad. I, I think the change that we've made um, over the last sort of 18 months is, is in and around our attack. So you'd like to think, you know, Christian Liliofano, Joe Powell. I'm sure Tavita's going to be in there. Tom Banks, these guys, you know that they um, that they get the uh, the recognition that uh, that they deserve if they continue to play well. And and I think you'll see that over the next few weeks that uh, semi-final rugby at, uh, at at Super Rugby level is is as close as you'll get to test to test match footy. And and um, it'll be a good opportunity for um, for the selectors to look at our boys and see how they handle that and how they adapt with. Um, with that extra, extra pressure because um, it'll certainly be there at, uh, at World Cup time. Just on uh, Falau Fang, uh, he's obviously having a terrific season. Uh, Chet gave him a little bit of a rack up on, on Fox Sports earlier in the season by saying that while, while he was playing great footy, he wanted them to get a bit fitter. Um, was it was that a fair assessment? Has he has he lifted his standards around that since then? Or you know what, what have you seen from him and his professionalism and his, his growth uh, uh, this season? Oh, I think uh, the important thing to remember with uh, with Falau is that um, you know, two years ago he was uh, waking up at four thirty in the morning and going to a building site and, and working as a labourer and then catching a bus to Sydney University training and so he's this is his second year of professional footy so I think that uh, it takes time to to develop that um, that, that training age and and, and that uh, that work I think you don't just flick a switch and. And and all of a sudden become the most professional footballer you possibly can be, and and uh, and Falau's developing. He's he's learning as as he goes along. He's learned plenty 
um, over the last couple of years. I think he's learned plenty over the last couple of months, and um, and he's he's made some adjustments in and around his preparation. Um, for me, his uh, his fitness continues to improve just naturally by being in a professional program and and um, and increasing his training age from one week to the next. So. He's certainly not someone that I'm looking at games or reviewing games at the moment and thinking that um, he's dragging his backside around the park. You know, he's, he's in position quickly, off-kick chase, kick return, um, very good repeat efforts in defence. He's, um, you know, he, he's in a good place at the moment. He's playing good footy. Can he continue to, to work hard and, and, and always look to improve his uh, his, his fitness? I, I think that's uh, there wouldn't be too many players that wouldn't be in that bracket. Absolutely. Uh, so many good stories there. Um, Dan, just bringing you back to the here and the now, this weekend against the Reds, um, you, you spoke about on Saturday night and you pressed the idea of, of keeping the winning momentum um, going there. Uh, what kind of changes might we uh, expect, though, given that the, the conference is wrapped up? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, straight away to our, to our back rowers and um, we all know that you know we've had some injury in the, in the back row there with, obviously, Dave. Benny Hine, unfortunately, uh, second year out injured. Um, Lockie McCaffrey's had some injury. Robert, Robbie Velatini has been out as well. So Pete Samu, Jerome Brown, um, Tommy Cusack have had an enormous workload, um, both during games and and on the training field. So, you know, there, there, there is there opportunity there to um, potentially freshen up a couple of our back rowers and get some minutes into uh, into other guys. That's an option. Uh, for us as, as a coaching group, and, and we'll make that decision over the next uh, 24 hours. Uh, but uh, you know, there won't be wholesale changes. I think it's um, you know we're uh, we're in a good place with uh, with our game. We've got that momentum at the moment. Um, I, I'm not in a hurry to go and uh, to go and change that. And fair enough too, Dan. It's so exciting what's happening in Canberra at the moment, and uh, and long may it continue over the next few weeks deep into that final series. Thanks for joining us on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thanks, fellas. Always a pleasure. Yeah, good to have a chat with uh, with Dan McKellar, and he's always very giving of his time. We tend to uh, have a chat with him in the pregame, in fact, of uh, of most. Brumby's games, which is terrific to get that insight and uh, and good to catch up with him on the podcast today. He was very strong, wasn't he, about uh, there and also the other night after the game about the the need for the Wallaby selectors to reward the form of his Brumbies. Yeah, he's a real straight shooter and, and just um, a very solid coach on the rise. I think he just speaks common sense and he's not um, he hasn't sort of shied away from from tackling the tough topics when they've come up. There was a bit of niggle, of course, with uh, Chico and resting players uh, last season. But, yeah, and he, and he made it crystal clear as well that uh, they've got title hopes this season. They don't consider themselves second best to those, to those heavyweight teams. And, yeah, uh, I... I think that performance, the way they just really stomped on the on the Taz's uh, throat at the at the weekend, that made me really think they they can do some serious damage in this comp. The great thing about their line out as well is because everyone expects that their rolling more is going to be such a threat. They can now just do a bit of a double bluff every now and again, which they did on the weekend, which is not always used. Mm. It and and when you got someone like Akira Drani that's out wide and Banks who's so quick, like it's it, there's so many um, avenues that they can now explore. And don't be surprised to see some more variations. You would imagine over the last, uh, over the next few weeks, wouldn't be surprised if they've been holding a little bit back. You hear um, people talk about um, title windows or premiership windows, depending on what sport it is. Is is their window about to close? Do you think the Brumbies? I mean, we don't know. We know that Rory Arnold's going. Uh, we know that Henry Spates 
going. We don't know what's happening with Christian Leliofano. David Pocock is off at the end of the season. You know, um, do you feel like now is their their time? I actually don't. I, I think maybe next season might even be a better time for them to strike. I think keeping Christian would be a, a big one, clearly. But they're actually better equipped than a lot of rival teams. There's going to be we're going through it before the Waratahs. There's so much uncertainty about their team, and and yeah, a lot of the Kiwi teams are losing big names. So I actually think the Brumbies are, are set up for yeah for the next couple of seasons to cope with the, the World Cup exodus better than most. Yes, oh, it's good that they've got their front row in order, mm. which is a, which is a huge tick. But when you're losing Carter and you're losing Arnold, I was speaking to Stephen Hoyles earlier this morning, and he thinks actually, as along with Samu Karevi, that that uh, the loss of Rory Arnold is going to be ginormous and one of the biggest losses that Australian rugby can get. You look at how well he's playing in tight, and you know his running game's improved massively. I think over the last couple of months, what he's 27, 28, mm. so he's coming into his prime. So he will be a big loss. But he has to be in that Wallaby side, you, you think. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And I think it's it, the consensus is that he is the form second rower uh, of the Australian scene at the moment. Could, could you pair him up with Will Skelton if he comes back to form the, the most gigantic second row pairing ever? Would that, would that work? I think you'd have to have a, a, like a jumping six. The talk is you're probably going to do that. But, yeah, not a bad shout. It's, it's I, I'd like the idea real point of Isaac. Wouldn't it? I would like Isaac Rodder. I think his work rate's pretty strong. But, yeah, Skelton would be great. So, so here's the question about Will Skelton. Is, and I know, that, I know that he's improved, you know, out of, out of sight. I've seen him play a couple of games um, in the premiership on, on Fox and he's lost all that weight. But... You're rolling the dice a little bit to to get someone back who hasn't played, um, no. hasn't played. Hang on, hear me out. Hasn't played Super Rugby, um, and and you, you're going on his his premiership form alone. He's made the choice to to go over. He knew what he was missing out on when he signed. Why not reward, um, you know, Isaac Rodder or or Rory Arnold or Adam Coleman? I'm not saying that Adam Coleman's been at his best this year, but. Why not reward the guys who who knew what the parameters were and they decided to stay and they wanted to be part of the World Cup? Reward those guys who who, who said no to the cash overseas because they wanted to be a part of this World Cup campaign. Now we get a couple of months out and, and someone moves the goalposts. They're, they're two different kind of arguments, though, aren't they? One of, one's, that's a very fair argument, but if we're talking just about who you, your best side is, I think you're looking at Skelton and, and you can't argue the fact that the Saracens are the dominant side in Europe and you look at the likes of the players that he's playing alongside and the fact that he's won um, the Saracens player player of the year like that's he he's he's been playing alongside good players Mara Toja sure so so who's to say that you you put Rory Arnold or or Isaac Rodder or or indeed Adam Coleman or you know I'm probably not thinking of someone here but you put them alongside those those sort of players too they might they might have hit and, and possibly will in a test scenario hit the same sort of form. I'm, ju- I'm just playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, but sure. I, I'm just I'm just wondering about the discussion of oh let's get him back, we're going to get him back quickly. You know he's he's yeah, he's, he's, he's you, been you can amazing. Understand, you know? uh, understand a player that missed out to him from Super Rugby, you, you would be quite filthy because, like you say, the the goalposts have you know shifted a little mm-hmm. bit. But yeah, it's, it's the same thing as we've had with AB de Villiers uh, wanting to come back for for the South African cricket team. I think once the games roll around, you, d- you do just want your best team out there. And I think uh, Skelton 
can be a potential difference maker. So, and I think it's actually very valuable to have someone coming directly out of those competitions. He's mm-hmm. been, he's got great uh, intel on on what the likes of Atoje, Jamie George, all those guys are up to. If, if and if they meet in a um, in a Crunch World Cup match, some of that, some of those little gold nuggets could be could be the difference. It was a good point though that Dan made about. The, oh, by the way, Rob Valentini, he, he I thought was quite impressive in his 45 minutes that he played. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if any of those backs do start to come into the picture, and not just on the fringes, but the likes of Paolo Leofano, um, Tommy Banks, because we all know Tavita, he is, he is definitely going to be there. Um, you'd think 13 is, is, is mm. a strong chance to start, but he'll certainly be in the squad. Mm. All right. Um there's all that discussion and we will continue to have that that Wallaby selection discussion. There will certainly be a, a couple of incumbent Wallabies and potential Wallabies putting their hands up in Melbourne on Friday night when the Rebels uh, have their last roll of the dice to try and make their first final series ever. They'll be playing the Chiefs, um, who also would like to to get a wing, win and try to seal a, a finals berth. So it's a, a cracker coming up on Friday night on Fox Sports. Uh, a man who knows a lot about both teams uh, is the Chiefs, Jack Debrasini. You're listening to the Fox Rugby Podcast. Hey, Jack, terrific to catch up with you on the Fox Rugby Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's um, good to be back on again. Are you excited about uh, getting back to your old stomping ground in Melbourne? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think um, it's going to be quite weird being on the other side of the change room and the other side of the field. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely excited to come back and play in Melbourne and see a lot of friends that I haven't seen in a long time as well. Right, before we get to the serious uh, rugby chat, what, what's the one thing you're maybe missing about Melbourne? And uh, Hamilton's probably not quite the same cultural metropolis as as Melbourne, what are, anything you're really uh, hanging out for? Uh, you're probably lucky with the cafe culture in Melbourne compared to uh, the couple options in Hamilton. So <laughs> I would say that, that I'd be, uh, I'm sort of hanging out for one of the Melbourne coffees. So, no, it should be good. Good stuff. You get Brody into a nice uh, macchiato or something. Oh, yeah. He actually told me about his favourite place in Melbourne, Right. Uh, the start of the week, and he wants to go. Wants to go back there. Pillar of Salt in Richmond. So he's a big fan of the chili scrambled eggs. So right. I'm sure he might venture there. Venture there one morning. Oh, he's are, you, are you sure you're not on a retainer <laughs> from that cafe? You just a bit of free no, publicity no, 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 there. No, I'm actually, I'm actually not. Actually, is very good chili scrambled eggs. There you oh. go. <laughs> hey, it's, it's been a really tumultuous season for the Chiefs, hasn't it? Um, probably a little bit similar to the the Rebels themselves. Quite a, a roller coaster with um, a heap of injuries, results all over the show, but it, it seems like you guys are coming good at the the right time of the year. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there were some tough times, I think, starting 0-4 at the start of the year. Uh, a lot of guys weren't familiar to that situation. Um, so it's been, I guess, a tough ride. But, yeah, coming up the other side, um, due to a good lead, leadership group, I find over here I've kept the boys on task. Um, and, yeah, we're sort of playing some good rugby at the right time of the year. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of good rugby, you were pretty impressive up in Suva the other week. Um, look, that, that that was a crazy game in itself uh, against the, the Crusaders, um, and Sam Kane had a blinder himself. Yeah, speaking of, of the key leaders there, just how 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 influential is is he? And now you got Brody Retallick coming back this weekend too. Yeah, I think they're just um, both Sam and Brody lead with words and by actions. Um, 
to have them together now. I think for the first time this year, it would be good to have them both on the field. Um, they pretty much drive our standards in regards to aggression and brutality, and it gets the team going forward. Um, and Sam's pretty calm and collected with his choice of words behind the post. And obviously against the Crusaders, we were you know, behind the post quite a bit in the first 20 minutes. Um, so I thought he did very well to compose the group um, and get us back into the game towards the end of that first half. That was an unbelievable game of, of Super Rugby, one of the best you'll ever see. Um, uh, what about your game, uh, your personal game? How has it changed? And I guess as much as that's a question, why has it changed? Why, why, why has it improved so much? What, what's different? Um, probably focused a lot more on my defence over here which has probably helped my game, I guess, give me confidence in that area. Um, sort of a few things, how they did things, like the way they saw the tackle over here was new ideas that I hadn't really thought about before or, you know, being coached. It's just a different way of thinking and um, that's helped my game a lot. Um, and just different coaches over here seeing the game a bit different um, have just given me other opinions and other ideas of how to see the game from an attacking point of view. Um, which has really helped me um, sort of collect the way information and implement it into my game. Are there any more specific examples you can can come up with there that, 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 that you've been trying to implement into your game? Obviously, you spent time at, at fullback as well, I think, um, you know, seeing, seeing the game from there. But, yeah, what, what specifically, maybe an attack, are you, are you looking at differently? Uh, a lot of it's around, um, so just like micro skills, uh, we, we got a good... Um, skills coach at the Chiefs, Andrew Strawbridge. Um, he's very big on micro skills in the catch pass area, um, just subtle differences of turning your chest towards the ball, over exaggerating that, um, keeping sort of weight over, just like little things that you probably are taught, but just the way I guess he's been able to deliver the message to me um, around catch pass and kicking this year, um, I found a big improvement in my game. Yeah, Jack. Just like, clearly, it's a pretty big idea, and it's a like, t- talking point. Um, New Zealand and Australian rugby at the moment, and, and you're a great case of it. That there's been guys that have been lost to the Australian system that have come out and played really well across the ditch. Um, is is there? Have you have you noticed that, or do you just think that you know it's a different culture, a different setup that you've been exposed to? Yeah, I think it's just been a different setup. Um, I think I've said a number of times, like. At the Rebels, um, there was just certain times I just, me personally, didn't make the most of the opportunity, and that's that's how it is, and that's life. And I guess coming over here, it was a fresh start, um, not having to prove myself, but sort of had to put my best foot forward throughout pre-season, wasn't comfortable in the environment like I probably had was at the Rebels, um, and I think that's got the best out of me, being in a new environment um, under sort of immense pressure over here in a Kiwi setup. And do you think also that um, you know when you when you're in an environment, a, a team situation for a number of years, you get labelled. Um, people have preconceived ideas. It's very hard to change them when you walk into to somewhere else and, and people look at you with fresh eyes. That's that's got to be a good thing too, right? Yeah, definitely. And I felt that as rebels, I sort of um, got caught into or bought into stuff that was said about me in certain different areas of my game and this and that. Um, so I was probably bored into it myself and then coming over here, um, you're exactly right. Um, 
you sort of they, everyone does reminded of how you are. Um, no one has a prescribed way of how you play. Um, so yeah, that's definitely been a refreshing thing as well from the mental side of it. Yeah, Jack. This bring it bring it to the here and now. Um, it's a huge game. Uh, your your finals still on the line, like the Rebels. What what are you most looking forward to about the game? I think it'll just be a pretty entertaining rugby, like attacking wise. Um, we definitely like to throw the ball around, and then you look at the Rebels back line. Like um, when Will and Quade get good front football, they're pretty hard to stop, and they play some attacking rugby. So um, yeah, I think that's been. I think that's been um quite impressive. Thank you. Quite impressive with um um that this year. So I think that's one area that um I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited to see play out on the weekend. Now, I'm not too sure what your contractual situation is, but what are you thinking? Are, are you happy to to try and stay in the New Zealand system for the time being, or, or do you do you feel like you've got more to give back in Australia, and, and do you still have international ambitions as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely have international ambitions. Um, I think that sort of drives everyone in the game um, to play at this level and go higher. Um, but at the moment, I'm just yeah, I'm having really finalised anything in regards to my contract for next year. Um, so yeah, I'll just wait, play play in the year out. I'm still contracted to the um, the Northland Tanifa for minor ten, um, and then I'll go from there. Well, Jack, you're playing good footy, and uh, when it comes time to negotiate a contract, that can never hurt too much. So uh, go well again on Friday night. I know how much you'll enjoy getting back to Amy Park and seeing some familiar faces, and and we'll enjoy seeing you back there as well. Good luck, mate. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me on. Jack Debrasini and uh, yeah, his uh, Chiefs are, are heading to Melbourne and uh, Brady Retallick back after a, a long uh, period of time on the sidelines. So that's going to be huge for the Chiefs and they'd be feeling quietly confident considering coming off the bye the week before that, they beat the Crusaders, they're travelling okay. Yeah, I think they go into this. I was surprised, actually, the bookmakers have got the Rebels as favourites. But to me, I think the Chiefs should be favoured for this one. I know the Rebels, um, they were having a bob each way with their selections against the Crusaders. And I, and I know that, um, that some of their key players weren't there. But but to me, that's got a dent in the confidence of it, doesn't it? Um, a, a lot of their starting side was still there and then they got absolutely obliterated. So I, think, an, it, I think that's, uh, yeah... Uh, a tough one to come back from. Mentally, um, that's a really interesting approach because, yes, they, they had all made those changes. It's almost like the guys who are still there had this this kind of sort of subliminal thought that, well, we can't really win this and that's why Dave's rested these guys and, you know, we're not really expected to win it. It just didn't feel like they were there mentally, um, particularly in defence? No, nah, absolutely not. They, they were clearly just thinking about that Chiefs game. Let's mm. get through this. They're probably thinking, let's not get injured as well. Um, and, what, 64 nil, a thousand tries that were being scored. 64 or 66, I think. 66. 66 yeah. nil, yeah. yeah. Like, just a mountain of a score. And Record scoreline. I mean, yeah, clearly when the Crusaders are in the in the mood and they got that touch-up in Fiji, which they were coming back from, mm. um, fair enough to lose to them. But just, yeah, the manner of it, I think, like... Uh, there's a lot of international players in that Rebels team and for them not to have those competitive standards to, to make tackles and mm. at least make the Crusaders work for it, I think that's, a, that's alarm bells territory. And, and that is the biggest question about this game on Friday night is, you know, how do they bounce back from that mentally? What what impact 
did it have and and uh, yeah, just just where they go to from here, knowing this is their last chance. I mean, they after the first half of the season, it looked like they were going to cruise into the finals. They were clear at the they've, top they've of the Australian eight, Conference. I think eight of their last twelve matches, they've lost. Like it's quite staggering, and you look about where, where those wins have come from as well. They've beaten um, what the Sunwolves a couple of times at home as well. So that, it's not like they've been um, chalking up any wins against impressive top quality opposition as well. So there's going to be questions asked. Obviously, if if they don't um, progress into the finals. Um, Dave, I think most people like Dave. I think yeah, he's a, of course seems they like do. a great young coach and on I think, the rise. I think a lot of people like the Rebels too as a, as a mm. football team because when they play well and the talent that they have in that team, when they're all at their best, it's a, it's a hell of a football team. We've, we've heard Will Genia say that on a number of occasions. Early on in this, this string of losses, I remember him saying specifically that he wasn't too concerned because he knew that at the heart of it, they're a good football team and they're still a good football team but they're not playing well. No, and, yeah, I mean, Will and, and Quaid, they need to take this game by the scruff of the neck. It's, you know, it's a, a quarterfinal a week early, isn't it? It's, mm. they, they can start their finals campaign this weekend. And there's they, they will be a different team with, with Will and Quaid, no doubt about that. Um, but, yeah, they need to Marika. To, they need to stand up big time and, and, and lead the way. It was an interesting observation made by Kaif on, on Saturday, Super Saturday. I think he, he said that um, before the season, he thought that there was a bit of an undercurrent of a soft underbelly. Of uh, within the side, and and you're right, where though this isn't now where those leaders, and it's not just at nine and ten where the leadership, it's the forwards as mm. well. It's Luke Jones who hasn't been as quite as influential probably since he came on the podcast, ironically, <laughs> what, six, six weeks ago or so. But those sorts of guys, they're type five. Adam Coleman needs to have a a big one. Um, Issy Nasrani needs to to stand up as well, and they need to dominate that that collision. Yeah, and uh, they can finish, I think, as high as. Uh, sixth, uh, if other results go their way, it, it is possible that they could end up playing if they if they win and finish sixth, they could end up playing the Brumbies uh, in Canberra in week one of the finals, which would be interesting. But um, I think that's if everything goes goes the right way. Yeah, my head's still spinning from all those uh, calculations. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, clearly um, it's as simple as as winning, and they're in, isn't it, for the the rebels? So I just hope that uh, you, you've got that horrible feeling that I guess the pressure of them not having made the finals and it's all unraveling a little bit. Uh, it, it, that soft underbelly, it's um, it's not nice to to say that, but I think that is that is there. It is a reality. Well, soft, yeah, soft underbelly or not. I mean, I don't know about that, but but. Um, I do know that the pressure, you know, will be felt, um, whether it's real or, or not, there will still be uh, that perceived pressure there for them on Friday night. And just how many players are going to be there returning next year? Like, there's still some guys that aren't signed. You've got uh, Quade Cooper. We don't know what his future is. Will Genius is still up in the air. There's talk that Billy Meeks might be on the move. and There's a couple others around there. So it, it could very well be the last match for some people. And, it's, and, and, and the Rebels, their future, how they're going, how they're tracking, who they're recruiting. Lots of questions to come out. Speaking of the Rebels, uh, a man who used to be an assistant in Melbourne is, is Matt Cobain, and it's uh, good to catch up with Matt on the Fox Rugby podcast. You're listening to the Fox Rugby podcast. Matt, thanks for joining us on, on the podcast. It's good to catch up. 
Yeah, yeah, it's great to uh, to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, we've, we've just spoken with Jack Debrasini, and obviously you spent some time uh, with him when you were in Melbourne as an assistant coach, and I guess you've kept an eye on him and his development at the Chiefs. It's It's been rapid. Yeah, look, he's had a good season, hasn't he? I know he was a little bit injured uh, earlier on and then really couldn't sort of follow up on, say, some of his pre-season form. Um but yeah, the, uh, the the competition for for places over there to make the team is, is very intense, as as you know. And um, you know he's benefiting from that consistent sort of approach to, to training, and and also probably a bit of maturity as well with Jack. Like he was quite young uh, when he was at the Rebels, and 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 had a couple of good good years there. But um, you know, obviously uh, being a bit older now, he's probably understanding his game and his and his own mindset uh, much better. Yeah, it sounds like uh, I heard you on the I think the rugby ruckus podcast as well uh, making similar comments you think that maybe the the gap in coaching or skills is there's there's too much made of that um in reality yeah i think so look you know rugby players are rugby players and, and there's, there's good coaches in australia and, and there's good coaches in new zealand um you know as to whether if player a goes over there and, and develops quicker you know it might just come down to timing of player a uh, you know he's ready to to move on um, and, and, and certainly in terms of actually the content delivered to, let's say, at super rugby level, I wouldn't imagine there's too much difference between, you know, uh, New Zealand teams and Australian teams. Matt, we'll get a little bit, um, delve into a little bit more with you in regards to the super rugby and so forth But um, in a little while. But first of all, last week was pretty special for the, the class of 99. Um, are you able to just... Uh, just tell us a few stories about what it was like catching up again with your, your former teammates. Uh, yeah, actually, it was pretty tame compared to the tenure, to be honest. Uh, few, you can actually remember this one. Of, yeah, I think poor old uh, our manager, poor old Johnny McKay, he fell down the stairs at the tenure one, so he was he, he made sure he got out of there quick and negotiated the stairs uh, much better this year. So, um, but yeah, it was really good. Like. Uh, it's funny, like you don't see these guys for a long time, and, and me particularly being overseas for the last four years, so I haven't seen had much contact at all with with them. And um, it's funny how you just go back into your old ways and your old kind of spot within the team. So the, you know, you have your jokers, you have your serious guys. Um, we've certainly all mellowed a fair bit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the pace, the the pace of the of the drinks flowing was was considerably slower than it was say at the ten year reunion. So. You know, we're probably in a much better spot too these days. I know one of the guys made a comment. It's, it's actually just good to see each other and everyone, you know, sort of knows who you are a bit more now that we're in a, into our – most of us are in our 40s and some into, a, into the uh, 50s as well. Uh, Kaif was talking about this, um, you know, he said it happened a couple of times to him throughout the day where you kind of walk past a guy and, and there's this unspoken thing where you might just grab him on the shoulder or grab him on the elbow and you kind of look at him and you just nod and then – and then keep walking. It's all almost like you're all part of, and, and clearly you are part of this special little, uh, quite elite club. And you'll always have that. You just give a, a nod and a wink, and that's enough. Yeah, it, it, yeah, you're right, Nick. It's it's like you, you, you each had a job in in the team, and and you know I, I always joke about my job was to try and uh, hurt as many people legally as I could in, in terms of you know the game plan. So that was that was my role, but. Um, yeah, you uh, you just as I said, you fall back into those into those roles, and I, I think I made a comment about uh, like culture. We worked bloody hard, like we worked, 
incredibly hard for, for that two-year period leading into that World Cup after Rod came in. And But what we did along the way is we enjoyed it. And I think, you know, for me, that's culture. You work hard, but you enjoy the moments when, when, when you can and when you when you have time to do so. That's, that's when you really sort of that, – that's the times you remember. Matt, you just made an interesting observation that you, you start to get to know yourself a little bit more when you're getting a bit older. Are you able to tell us what you mean by that? Uh, look, I think um, mainly it's sort of about your position and where you're at in society. You know, a lot of guys have you know, settled into uh, a job that they've been in now for quite a while. Um, you know, when it's only 10 years after rugby, there is that transition period there. And sometimes it does take a fair bit of time to, to transition uh, out of rugby after you've finished. Um, so that's that's probably what I'm talking about there. You know, families are more settled, kids are older. Um, so, you, you know, you, your path sort of a, a, a little bit more laid out for you rather than sort of maybe a little bit sort of uh, mixed up or crossed over in terms of, you know, that transition out of rugby. And during the reunion, um, amongst all the reminiscing, I'm sure you guys would have talked a lot about the, the state of the, the current game. I mean, the class of 99, such amazing success. Um, and, and obviously the game's not, not where it was then. But is there, I mean, what was the mood talking about the, the, the current game? Is there still an optimism that, that, you know, things can be turned around, that we can, we can see return to the glory days at some point? Yeah, I think so. I think like we we all will always back um, whoever's playing for the Wallabies. You know, no matter who's in there, and you know that's they're part of the the history now, the gold jersey. And um, it was interesting. Nathan Gray was obviously being on the current coaching staff. Said that they did an exercise. I can't remember whether it was this year or, or a couple of years ago, but they they split the guys up into groups and 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 did a bit of. Um, uh, he, he sent them away with a computer and said, put put together some images around. You know what what sort of wallaby success looks like and and um you know moving forward and then further into the world cup what what does that look like for you in pictures and he said every group had a picture of that of that 99 team in in their presentation so it was it was sort of for us it was really sort of nice to know that they you know the current guys know all about the history of the game um despite what you know a lot of people think and there's a lot of negativity around the game they're, you know, they're fully committed to that goal jumper, and, and and I thought that was really, um, you know, a really good thing from from the current group to be able to sort of recognise history and, and and know that they can emulate that um, if they play well. Well, you guys are the the standard bearers for success. There's no doubt about that. Um, now, you obviously having spent time in Japan in, in a coaching role, what's going to be like in a couple of months' time up there? Are they just going to go absolutely crazy? Will it be, you know, the only place to be? Yeah, I think well, certainly if you're a rugby fan, it's the only place to be. But it's it's a wonderful country. I, I always talk about you know the three things uh, up there: the the food uh, is unbelievable, uh, the transport's excellent. You know, with the train systems and the way you get around up there, it's it's really seamless. And then uh, you know the people are, the, are just great. You know, they're um they're what make Japan Japan, obviously. And uh, you know, I've got I've got a lot of good friends up there still, and and um, you know that that'll be a uh, It'll be a giant party for for six weeks up there, and um, you know they'll they'll do a good job. The Japanese, I think. 
What about their chances of replicating what they did four years ago, the, the Japanese national team? I know that uh, Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown, um, with their plans with the Sunwolves, have had some pretty meticulous planning around this, a lot of, a lot of resting of, of players as well. Do, do you think they can um, up, upset some, some big teams again this year, in? Yeah, look, I think this 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 time around it's going to be much harder for them. I think the last time they flew under the radar, um, you know, they probably weren't taken seriously. Certainly, I think the, the Springboks thought they just had to turn up and the match was theirs. Um, but and I, but I don't think that will happen this year. I think everyone who plays Japan real, or will realise it's in their own country. They're going to have to be on their game from the very start. Otherwise, they will get up, you know, upset. Those higher ranked teams will get upset by Japan. So, um, and saying that though, like they'll they'll give it a good red hot crack. You, you mentioned the the plans for resting players and sort of you know the guys having time in the Sunwolves and out of the Sunwolves. Um, it's um, it's hard to see the plan sometimes, but I'm sure Jamie's got that got in his head, and um, you know he'll have them firing, uh, firing. I think, and, and it's hard to tell whether whether you'll see an upset. Or, yeah, it's just one of those things. I think, um, as I said, it, it's it's going to be hard for them uh, to ambush anyone. Yeah, one thing they've got in their favour is they're very well coached uh, with Jamie Joseph and, and Tony Brown. Um, looking at an Australian perspective, you're in Melbourne at the moment. How do you see the state of the game and, and perhaps the Wallabies' chances uh, of success in Japan? Well, as I said, uh, there is some, some negative commentary around it at the moment, but that's the game in general, obviously, you know, the easy Falau thing and just, um, you know, the general sort of malaise that we've been in for the last couple of years. But, you know, there are a lot of good stories out there. I think uh, I was reading an article, and Nick Phipps was mentioning the other day about how there are good, there are good stories out there. We're just not hearing about them. Um, and we need to be positive about rugby in this country. Um, you know, I think it's, for me, I don't want to sort of comment too negatively on anything. Um, you know, we, we've had our issues with, with high performance and, and, and whatnot, and, and, and I think Scott Johnson coming in there is going to sort of smooth that out uh, and, and, and get everyone more aligned and working in the same direction, which is which has sort of happened uh, to a degree this year. So I think that that'll, that'll take a while to, to take effect, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's not going to happen overnight, but Hopefully by the time we hit the next World Cup, uh, we'll certainly have all our ducks in line and, and, and we'll be rowing in the same direction. I uh, just want to take you back to your roots for the moment. Um, the yeah. makeup of the <laughs> Wallaby back row uh, and all this discussion about can you play Pocock and Hooper in the same back row and, and how it all looks. What's your, what's your gut yep. feel? Put your selector's hat on. Okay, here we go. So I, I, obviously... <laughs> I think, um, look, for me, Pocock's the best number seven in the country, and I think I think you put him there. Um, I, I really rate uh, Michael Hooper as well. I think he's an excellent player. However, I wouldn't start him. I'd have him on the bench as an impact player, and, and you know, something that someone that sort of with his running game can create something out of nothing. Um, for me, um, a ball carrying number eight or, or blindside, you know, pick and choose there, and the other guys, uh, whoever's. Um, the other guy has to, has to be a good set piece forward, so you have that third option in the line out. So, I guess you know, obviously bias from from the days that I played with uh, Dave Wilson, who was you know that out and out number seven. You had Todd Ikefu, who was the ball carrier and the, and the guy who could create a bit of magic, and I was more of the tight tighter forward that sort of did the line outs and did the tackling and had the work rate. So, I think if we can get a combination like that, and whether that's 
you know, Nasserani at number eight and, and maybe Dempsey as a, as the blind side. Um, uh, it's you know it's really hard to put it together. I actually really like Scott Fardy. I think he's he was a big loss for Australian mm. rugby when he went overseas. Um, I think he fits that mould of a guy that can play tight, but it's all can also you know carry the ball when needed. Uh, can tackle strongly uh, and has a good work rate. Yeah. yeah, there seems to be a school of thought that uh, probably size and, and fear factors maybe something the Australian pack um, has lacked in recent years. But we're seeing Rory Arnold emerge. There's talk that mm. that Will Skelton could potentially come back. Um, guys like Jack Dempsey that like uh, probably doing your job of, of, of trying to hurt people. Um, so is there yeah. is, is there yeah a chance that the Wallabies can maybe show a different a different side with with um, with guys like that? Yeah, I think so. Like you know, it's always when. In World Cups, it's 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 it is different, you know. So we'll have that that mentality there. I remember in two thousand and three, actually, that um, when when Eddie Jones was coaching us uh, at our own World Cup here in Australia, that no one no one rated us as a chance to to go anywhere near the final because uh, we were quite average, I guess, in the lead up uh, in the domestic tests that season, and uh, and we ended up you know making the final, obviously, and then Johnny. Good old Johnny Wilkinson knocked that field goal over and, and, and shattered the dream. But, um, you know, once you're in the tournament, those guys will believe. We believed it back in 2003. And, and these guys in, in, in 2019, they'll go in believing that they can win the tournament. And, and that's that's a powerful thing, I reckon. I hope you're right. I really do hope you're right. And and I hope that the whole of the country gets behind them as well, just as they did with you guys in 1999. Matt, terrific to catch up. Thanks for your time. No worries. Thanks, Dick. Yeah, Matt Cobain there, and it's uh, good to catch up with him. And uh, he is very well and highly respected uh, within the, the coaching ranks. So it would be nice to think that uh, somewhere, somehow, that Australian rugby can tap into that intellect and experience and success because, uh, little known fact, seven out of ten Bledisloe tests he won, which I think makes him the uh, most winning Australian Wallaby in, in Bledisloe history or something like that. It's not a bad little, little one to put on the resume, is mm. it? Um, so, yeah, he's clearly got a, a wealth of, of knowledge there um, and, and some really interesting thoughts um, around the team as well. His job description, just to, to hurt people back in the day, there's not many um, <laughs> not many job descriptions like that, are yeah, there? Yeah, no, but, it's just uh, him and Chopper, really, good, so that's... <laughs> good, good fun if you're a, a metre 97 anyway, you can you can get away with it. But no, great, great to chat to him. Very good. Um, just as a... Well, it's not, not a footnote. It's uh, it's worthy of much more than being a footnote, and that is um, the Reds win over the Blues on Friday night by a point. Um, Bryce Hegarty managing to nail that conversion under pressure. But uh, but as well as that, the uh, the scenes at the end and the emotion shown by Samu Karevi, clearly that was his last game uh in front of the faithful at Suncorp Stadium in a Reds jersey anyway uh, for a while. Um, it's, uh, he hasn't confirmed it, but uh, it's understood that he's heading to Japan and, and signed some six months ago uh, in Japan. Gee, you could see what it meant to him. You could see what it meant to him when he ran onto the field. Mm. He almost looked like he was going to cry then. And, and like he played outstandingly. And what a matchup it was between him and Ma Nono. And, um, but and he shaded him. Yeah, he, he, shaded he, him. he certainly did. And, and even Nono said that, look, post-game... Karevi's wrecking ball ways and then just the way that he led the side was was the, the difference between the two teams and, and it certainly was. And reminiscent perhaps of Mahanonu at his best. Yeah, yeah. Tim Horan and Rod Kafer um, glowing with praise as well as Mahanonu afterwards and I think it was Kafer that said, look, he's, he, 
looks like he could be a real breakout star of the World Cup. And yeah, I completely agree. I think he, it's not too big a stretch to say he's maybe the top three most important players for the Wallabies. I think with Israel Folau coming out of that team, he's going to carry an enormous, um, I guess, burden of, of being a line breaker, being a guy that can make something happen out of out of nothing. And I think he's he's primed to have a, a massive impact. As Caves has said before, he, he's always dominated Super Rugby. That hasn't been a problem. But going up a level defensively, there's been a few issues. But I think uh, as long as he's allowed to play at number 12, um, yeah, he, he's going to be one of the stars of the World Cup, I think. You look at what he can do at 12 in terms of just his board-wrecking ways. It's almost a little bit like the Brumbies with their maul because sometimes it creates space elsewhere because everyone's just thinking that Karevi's going to be running. But we, as we've seen this year, he's got a passing game. He can put the ball on the toe. Those elements of your game are improving. And Dan McKellar as well, after the game, he was asked, oh, what, why should fans get around this match on the weekend? Well, it's one of the last opportunities that they'll be able to see Samu Karevi. And that's what he said. And he's totally right. This this guy he hasn't been able to show his best rugby at, at Test Footy, partly because I think he's been playing at outside centre. And people keep on saying, oh, look, the Wallabies players, they play in different positions and the, and the number on their back doesn't necessarily reflect on where they end up on the field. But Karevi at 12 has just got to be a certain certain player there. Mm. I think it seems pretty clear to me anyway that we haven't seen the last of uh, Karevi post-World Cup. I think he will return. That's just my gut yeah, feeling that he'll do, he'll do, he'll yeah. do a couple of years away and come back. He, he clearly is very, very passionate about um, yeah Wallabies and the Reds. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that it's come to this, though, because the, the Reds, for all their good work they've done developing, to lose the heart and soul, the, the best player, there's just no coming back, no, no replacement for that. I think they had a, a crack at getting Tavita Kurandrani up from the Brumbies, but he, he's going to stay there by all accounts. So it's just a shame that you've got Jordan Patea coming through. If he was allowed to play alongside Samu showing him the ropes, that would that would be the ideal scenario. But unfortunately, he's now probably going to be asked to carry the, the back line. Still a lot of um, you know recruitment work to be done, but you, you just can't replace Samu Karebi. Mm, not, uh, not overnight, that's for sure. Um, so some big matches, uh, and we've we've touched on them. What are you lo- most looking forward to, Christy, this weekend? Just seeing, well, the Rebels, the, the Rebels, it has to be. The Rebels, the Chiefs. Australian rugby needs two Australian sides in that, that finals, and we saw the last time that they had two teams in the finals was in 2015, and they ended up winning the rugby championship. Uh, since then, they've had one team in the Super Rugby finals, and they've been smashed in the first test against the All Blacks, uh, partly probably because players just haven't been on the park. Yeah, that's the the key game this weekend from my perspective as well. There's going to be a lot of points in it. Um, it should be entertaining, but there's going to be a very nervous energy um, around the game as well. So, yeah, I think that's uh, the key one to look out for. I think the Lions and the Bulls are basically in a similar sort of shootout scenario as well. So I think they're the, the two games with the most uh, riding on them. Indeed. All right, uh, that is about a wrap, I think. Gents, thanks very much uh, for your company and thank you for your company once again this week on the Fox Rugby Podcast. 